Hi everyone, this is Dr. Tom Fabian, and today we'll be mapping mucosal integrity on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-minute matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with Dr. Tom Fabian. Tom is a leading expert on the role of the microbiome in health, immune function, chronic disease, and aging. As a translational scientist, his primary focus is on the clinical application of microbiome research in the functional and integrative medicine space. He is currently a consultant and science advisor for Diagnostic Solutions Laboratory, and he also serves as a science advisor for Designs for Health. Previously, Tom was a consultant on microbiome testing for Viome and Vibrant America. Tom is certified as a nutrition therapy practitioner, and he also provides educational services and courses for practitioners. Hello, Tom, and welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Hello, Andrea, and thank you for inviting me today. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to speak with you again. And I think all of us listening are anchored in the importance of gut health, which allows us to go a little bit deeper into the realm of what you're so good at. And I'd love to do a sort of what, why, how now of mucosal integrity. Can we start with the what? What is mucosal integrity, Tom? Absolutely. Yeah. So mucosal integrity actually is kind of a complex concept. So In research, we know there are many components. Of course, in clinical practice, we tend to focus primarily on the concept of leaky gut Mm -hmm. and markers related to leaky gut, such as zonulin. But actually, when you look at the research, it's a much bigger picture than that. It's a very integrated whole when it comes to the mucosal barrier. So key components would be things like the microbiome, of course, and there's actually a heavy interaction between the microbiome and the mucosa. So you can't really think about one without the other. Since they're so sort of integrated and sort of uh, intrinsically entwined. But that's a great thing, actually, from a therapeutic standpoint, because we can really influence both sides of that equation quite a bit. And really what we're looking at overall is the balance of these factors, the things that tend to disrupt the barrier, and then the things that tend to promote a healthy barrier. Um, So on the side of the mucosal barrier itself, there's actually these sort of outer layers that are secreted factors. So, of course, again, we tend to think of leaky gut, but really the first thing that environmental factors that we're exposed to, uh, microbes and particularly food antigens, chemicals, et cetera, would be the microbiome and then 
the next layer essentially is the mucus layer. And that's really an important part of the overall mucosal barrier because it is that sort of first barrier. And then factors inside that barrier, so factors that are components of that. So it's not just mucus, but it's additional factors that are produced by the mucosa, both epithelial cells, those are the cells lining the intestine, and then also immune cells produce various factors. So really important examples I think that a lot of people are familiar with would be secretory IgA. Right. And that's actually produced by certain immune cells, largely in response to the microbiome. And then that's secreted into the mucus layer. And then there are also a few other factors. Kind of a group would be called the antimicrobial proteins or peptides. These are factors that are produced by specialized cells in the epithelial layer that are also secreted into that space where there's mucus, et cetera. Um, There's lots of factors from diet, et cetera, that can actually compromise that barrier. I'm sure we'll talk about those as well. But also the immune cells. I mentioned those just a little bit, but they're kind of sprinkled throughout the whole mucosa. We think of them primarily as in the lamina propria, which is that space just below the epithelial cells, but actually interspersed between the epithelial cells are the intraepithelial lymphocytes. So there's some immune cells right there that are highly responsive to what's going on in the gut. So you can really think about that barrier as kind of a major interface with the environment. Of course, that's really where internally we're exposed to these internal factors like foods, microbes, chemicals, etc. So it's really all about how does the microbiome and the mucosa respond to those. How do they recognize those and determine what's good, what's bad, and then respond, mount an appropriate response. I love that we're really in like the structure of the mucosal barrier here and really understanding its makeup. I want to go to the why, like why it matters, why this barrier system matters so much for overall health. But before we go there, are there things that impact the mucosal integrity from the get-go like that we're born with. We know the microbiome is impacted by birth method as well as mom's exposures. Are there other things that impact the mucosa at birth? That's a great question. So certainly those are probably the best studied. At birth, there's certainly well-recognized genetic factors. And you can imagine, so we just talked about these various components of the mucosa, and those are all encoded by various genes. So if there are genetic defects in some of these factors, that can set the stage for problems down the line. But again, that's just one factor. So usually it's a combination of environmental things that we're exposed to, like diet, et cetera, that can kind of flip that switch so that those actually become a reality. But Those are really just risk factors. Of course, diet and lifestyle really can influence that quite a bit. And really in the postnatal period is really important in terms of nutrition. So breast milk, of course, has a lot of factors that can promote mucosal health directly, but also in particular promote a healthy microbiome. So there's the human milk oligosaccharides or HMOs, for example, that can promote beneficial bacteria like bifidobacterium. And then beyond that, really the weaning phase, when infants are transitioning to solid foods, that's a very important period, especially to make sure that if at all possible, infants are really starting to consume healthier foods, because that's when a large part of the more mature microbiome develops that then feeds back onto the barrier and then helps promote the development 
And this is all, of course, while everything's developing, the immune system's developing, the gut's developing, et cetera. So it's such a critical period to really try to dial that in so that kids are really off to a good start at those really young ages. Yeah, it makes me think about our timelines when we are working through a functional nutrition lens and how important it is to look at those early childhood years as we're able to, you know, if we can gather that information because it is setting the stage as I understand it. Yeah, and we can even step back further to maternal factors. I mean, there's certainly a lot of growing research around different aspects of maternal health that then can impact the health of the intestinal barrier for the baby. And that's kind of a whole separate topic, but certainly paying attention to health you know, is important for many reasons <laughs> during that phase. But even when it comes down to just the health of the barrier and the mucosa and the microbiome in the baby, the prenatal period is super important as well. So mucosal integrity, when we move to the center part of the matrix, this kind of systems biology lens, we are understanding the structure. Can you talk a little bit more about how when that barrier system is not fully functional, I mean, it's everything, I know that, but like, (laughs) how do we relay the importance of that barrier system throughout the entire body system? There's several ways to think about that, but again, I think a key part of that is that is the interface, the primary interface between the environment and sort of the internal physiology. So there's a lot of sort of details in terms of how the cells there at the barrier basically detect what's there and then translate that into a response. That starts out local. So typically, if it's a minor Disturbance, for example, you may just have a local response there in the mucosa, some temporary inflammation, for example. But if that is persistent, say in a chronic scenario, it can even be a chronic bad diet, for example, or chronic stress. All these things that we know can affect health in general often have a major component in affecting the barrier. So from a research standpoint, that's been tied to virtually every chronic disease where this has been studied, particularly, say, in autoimmune conditions. So we know that Compromised intestinal barrier is a common feature of most autoimmune conditions, but also chronic inflammatory conditions, even extending to allergies and sensitivities, et cetera. So it's such an important component where when it's out of balance, and that can be for various reasons, and of course there's individual variability there, but that can really set the stage in combination with their genetics for potential development of certain diseases and conditions down the line. Right. Yeah. So when we think about digestive health, and I think of autoimmunity and other chronic conditions through a three roots, many branches arena, and those roots are the genes, digestion, and inflammation. And when we're talking about mucosal integrity, we're really talking about the whole thing. Like it is thinking about digestion, yes, but it's thinking also about inflammation and how that barrier starts to get degraded and impact everything else systemically. Yeah, and I think that's, so it it can become overwhelming when you're thinking about all these different components, but we really want to kind of keep in mind what are the most important aspects of that. So really diet, that's been shown in so many studies to have a big impact, positive or negative, depending on the diet, on the barrier, and also the microbiome. So fortunately, we have a lot of tests now where we can get some greater insights into these components. And I would 
probably add there that uh, there are various specific tests that are really geared towards measuring aspects of the barrier that are related to the leaky gut. So for example, zonulin, measures for zonulin is a popular factor. Um, And that is important. So we certainly want to take that into account. But oftentimes clinicians will sort of focus almost exclusively on that as sort of the main indicator for a healthy barrier. Uh, And really what you want to do is look at the microbiome overall and look at the balance of beneficial bacteria, for example, to the bad bacteria. And then also other aspects as well. Like you mentioned immune imbalances, so inflammation. Any sign of inflammation in the gut also can be a sign that there's going to be a compromised barrier. Yeah, and I like to think of it through a tiered approach and from our lens in functional nutrition versus functional medicine, there's so much we can be doing to shift that inflammatory milieu and the microbiome before we even have to do that based on what somebody has and what they're experiencing. I like to believe that there's cleanup we can do and clearing of the system, calming of the system, and then we do that testing later on to give us further information if and when we need it. But again, that's a functional nutrition versus a functional medicine lens. And I think too many people jump to the testing when we already know there's an issue with the integrity of the barrier. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of really well-defined factors that we already know, as you mentioned, that can disrupt the barrier. Certainly inflammation. I mean, that's something we see clinically all the time. When it comes to sort of looking at diet, generally an inflammatory diet, so things that we associate with kind of the standard Western diet, a lot of those have been shown to be detrimental to the barrier. Uh, And I'll just highlight a couple here. Yeah, please. A number of studies have shown that various additives in processed foods, so those would be emulsifiers and things like that, food colorings, all those sorts of things that are often added to processed foods, Numerous studies now have shown that those can disrupt the barrier directly. So certainly avoiding those if at all possible. Yes, clear clear those out. (laughs) Excess sugar, I mean, that's certainly a common additive to processed foods as well. And we're getting a lot more sugar now than we did, you know, many decades ago. And that's actually another factor that there's a major study published, I think about maybe three years ago or so, was the first study that showed that hyperglycemia, so high blood sugar, is a major factor that can lead to leaky gut. Hmm. There's additional studies as well that indicate that high sugar intake can be very detrimental to the barrier. Yeah, further inflammation there. Yeah, so things we could be clearing and then there's more, right? There are more foods that both are detrimental to the barrier and then I want to also talk about what supports the building of that barrier, but do you have thoughts on gluten or other inflammatory foods on the barrier system? I know you do. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> certainly gluten. I mean, that's a big topic in and of itself. And that's right. been shown many times to disrupt the barrier and even potentially in people that are not gluten sensitive or celiac. So even just normal healthy people, if they consume a certain amount of gluten, may have at least temporary leaky gut from consuming the gluten. Pathogens, infections can be another common disruption of the barrier. And those often kind of go together. So it turns out that there's a lot of issues that can develop post-infection. So of course, a lot of us have had history of things like food poisoning or gastroenteritis after eating something bad. And essentially what we know from research is that can set 
sort of the stage for downstream imbalances, particularly kind of dysbiosis that persists. And there's, again, that really big interaction between the microbiome and the intestinal lining. So that can then set the stage for long-term leaky gut. Also, Giardia would be another example. Pretty much any sort of infection in the gut may have an impact on the intestinal barrier. But then again, we can develop, and a recent uh, major study just got published showing that you can actually develop specific types of food reactions after an infection. And it's thought that that's because during the infection with the inflammation, then the foods that you're consuming around that time, the immune system may develop an increased sensitivity to those particular antigens. And then down the line, if you eat that food again, you may have a significant reaction. So for example, that's been tied to potentially a subset of IBS patients. And then one other thing to consider there is there's, again, you know, it's really a paradigm shift in terms of the role of the microbiome at every point along the way here. So an example would be that microbes can actually influence how these dietary factors are processed. So gluten is a classic example. We know that certain opportunists, particularly Pseudomonas, has been well studied, and that's on a number of the stool tests. That particular organism can actually modify gluten in a way that makes it more likely to cross that intestinal barrier and then stimulate a stronger immune response. But on the other hand, we actually have lactobacillus species that have been studied that can actually break down gluten in a different way that makes it less likely to stimulate the immune system. So when you're kind of looking at the factors that can influence this balance, again, looking at the microbiome and considering the diet, is the patient consuming fermented foods? Are they taking probiotics with lactobacillus in it? Those sorts of simple things up front may have some positive impacts before even doing a full assessment of what's going on with the gut. Yeah, it just makes me recognize, which I already know, but as I shared with you, I'm on a soapbox about how unique every single person is, that we have to be looking at all these combinations, but mostly if we zoom out, we can do some initial work that helps us to move them towards resolution. So dietary factors that are supportive, you mentioned eating the probiotic foods and taking probiotics that include lactobacillus species. What else could we be consuming to support barrier function? Probably at the top of the list would be fiber, high fiber foods. So of course, fibers are predominant in fruits and vegetables. And so there are really a large number of studies at this point supporting that what happens is the microbiome in the gut can break down various fibers, and that's how they produce these short-chain fatty acids that we have all heard about at this point, including a particularly important one, butyrate. And butyrate has been shown, once again, to promote intestinal barrier health in many different ways. And I have actually a figure that I use in a lot of my presentations that I think really nicely summarizes this because it sort of shows visually this connection between a high-fiber diet, the healthy microbes, and then the production of short-chain fatty acids, and then showing how that has many different positive impacts on the barrier. So really, fiber is kind of the cornerstone, uh, and that's largely through these short-chain fatty acids. But I would also add polyphenols, which just by chance happen to also be in fruits and vegetables, and of course, many supplements as well. And those also can have very balancing effects on the microbiome, in somewhat similar ways to fiber. They're actually thought of as kind of a 
different type of prebiotic in a way because they can promote beneficial bacteria that in turn then promote the barrier. So just a real specific example here, there's a lot of interest these days in a species called Acromantia. That's now available as a probiotic. I think that's kind of a long-awaited thing for many clinicians. And it plays such an important role in the barrier, especially in the colon, because it actually helps to regulate the mucus production. It actually depends on mucus to thrive. So it's kind of in its own interest to make sure that the mucus is continually produced. So then it produces factors that promote mucus production. But we see that a lot of people are deficient in acromantia. Once again, there's a lot of research showing that specific polyphenols that actually stimulate mucus production. Key examples would be things like cranberry extract, and then also quercetin, pomegranate, various things from grapes. So again, bringing it back to food, that there are these various food components in healthy foods that have many, many positive effects. And that's just one isolated example that they can promote mucus production, then promotes beneficial bacteria that then go back and promote a healthy intestinal lining. So I think it's, you can kind of get that picture that it sort of all works together as long as you're, you know, really focusing on these health promoting aspects of nutrition and diet. Yeah, Tom, I can talk to you for so long and I'm so glad we'll be able to point to your trainings. Before I let you go, can we look at the right side of the matrix and the things I think of as the skills, the things we actually do, are there connections between these arenas like sleep and relaxation and stress and the integrity and the barrier itself? Definitely. Yeah, there's a ton of research on that as well. And we also see that a lot clinically. Certainly when it comes to sleep, that's a major factor. And there's some really key studies that have come out just recently showing that when you don't get sufficient sleep, that can have a direct negative effect on the barrier. Same with stress. I mean, there's, again, specific mechanisms they've worked out in research showing exactly how stress can disrupt the barrier. Uh, in fact, some of the stress hormones can actually have effects directly on the tight junctions, for example, at the barrier, immune cells at the barrier. So many, many different ways in which these can also affect the balance. There are factors that are promoting a healthy gut and factors that are detrimental to the gut. Yeah, so important. Knowing that you have the ears of many, many practitioners, is there anything you wish we all knew about mucosal integrity that we are grossly overlooking in our clinical care? That could be a whole other topic, but um, <laughs> probably many one of the things. Key- <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean I think it's a, you know, it's Learning more about it, I think, is it makes it a bit more complex, but it's also a great opportunity for us to really tune into what's going on with each individual. So I would kind of break that into two parts. One is the individual personalized aspect to it. So if you do take the time to kind of learn more about these various aspects of the barrier beyond just sort of that idea of leaky gut and zonulin, that gives you more factors to focus on and recognize, oh, these are out of balance, whether it's from just assessment of the patient or from testing. And I also think that we're starting to learn more and more about the whole microbiome and mucosa all along the GI tract. So traditionally, I think we've all kind of focused on the large intestine. When we talk about the gut, that's sort of what we're always talking about. But even when I'm interacting with clinicians and they ask me about, you know, what sort of gut healing protocol, leaky gut protocol would I suggest? 
I usually direct their attention to, you know, does it look like there's more of a problem in the colon, which may require a somewhat different approach, which would be more fiber, polyphenols, possibly even butyrate supplementation. And then basically, you know, further up, you can even be looking at the oral microbiome because a lot of those microbes then cause problems downstream. Oral health is really important. Stomach health, especially with H. pylori overgrowth. And then small intestine, which we're kind of moving beyond the idea of, of SIBO because that's sort of just a, a little bit of a one-size-fits-all, just means overgrowth. Now that we're getting more information, we know the specific troublemakers. And there's a whole host of them, including candida and things that we already know of, but other species too. So once we kind of take that bigger integrated picture into account, you can kind of get into the detailed part of it, but it also really comes back to that whole picture of, you know, are you digesting well? Are you chewing your food? Because that actually can cause really bad downstream dysbiosis. Yeah. So important. So smart, Tom. And I have lots of notes. We will link in the show notes to some previous podcasts that cover everything from uh, short-chain fatty acids with Dr. Michael Ash, another of my favorites, oral microbiome. So lots to connect to there, as well as everything that links us to you and your work, Tom. So thank you again for joining me today. And I look forward to connecting once again. All right. Well, thank you so much, Andre. It's my pleasure. And thank you for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 